Now, the first man that I'm going to read a portion of his book you may not have heard of, but Billy Graham said that, uh, what's his name? Herbert Lockyer was one of the greatest ministers ever to preach the gospel, and Billy Graham said that, okay? So we might take his word for it, amen? But in tonight, I wanted to talk about becoming devoted or committed to prayer, amen? Yeah, I like amens. It's okay to say it. It's church. It's the best place for amens, right? So tonight I want to begin with a few excerpts from these pastors, from these preachers, and we'll get into the text. But before I do, I want to pray and just ask the Lord that it would not be me talking, but that he would use me tonight. Father God, we just come before your throne tonight, God. And I come humbly, God, understanding the great magnitude of the office of an elder and the preaching of the gospel. And God, I pray that you would empty this pulpit of me and that none of it would be me, God, but it would be you divinely, divinely speaking and proclaiming your word from your and your gospel from your word. That it would be the Holy Spirit inspired word of God that would be preached here tonight and not mine. I ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Now I just want to read a quick ep excerpt from prayers and prayer in the Old Testament. This book was written by Robert Lockyer. And it's all the prayers of the Bible. And this is how he opens. He says, With the full revelation concerning the foundation, form, and fruits of prayer are before us in the New Testament. We have ample evidence in the Old Testament scriptures of the efficacy excuse me, of intercourse with heaven. How those holy men of old could storm the battlements above. When there was no way to look but up, they lifted up their eyes to the God who made the hills with unshakable confidence. At their time, at, their, at times their approach to God was both unusually familiar and daring, but they were heard in that they feared. Prayer to the patriarchs and to the prophets was more than rhetoric, rhetoric or rhetorical or uh, ritual of well-known and well-worn phrases. It was the outpouring of the heart beset by perils, persecutions, pain, and privations. They naturally turned to God in their need, believing that he was able to redeem them out of all of their troubles. If they knew little of the philosophy of prayer, they certainly knew a great deal about its power and our meditation upon the words revealed in these scriptures. And that's how he starts. 
And I wanted to start right there because I think we have two tendencies in our way of thinking towards prayer. We can either think prayer is just, you know, humdrum and, and uh, some kind of ritual that I have to do that I feel obligated to do, which my section of Baptists might fall into that. And then we have another spectrum where we think prayer is all about us. That another end of the spectrum can go into. Amen? So tonight I want to bring us back to scripture. And what the Bible teaches about prayer. And how we ought to be devoted to prayer. How even if prayer doesn't move the hand of God, it changes me in the process. Amen? But how all too often prayer did move the hand of God in Scripture. Amen? We don't want to forget those moments either. Now I told you I was going to open with a few words from a few men of God. And I don't know if you've ever heard of D.L. DL Moody or Dwight Lawrence Moody. He was a great preacher in the East of this country he lived about the same time as Spurgeon did Spurgeon preached in England and actually D.L. Moody went to England and preached for about two years met a wife and came back here and founded the Moody Bible Institute of Chicago I want to read a few words of his he starts this is his sermon that he preached. It's called The Best of D.L. Moody. It's from a book Ralph Turnbull published. And this is a message that D.L. Moody preached at his church in Chicago. He said, those who have left the deepest impression on, the sin, or on this sin-cursed earth have been men and women of prayer. You will find that prayer has been the mighty power that has moved not only God but man. Abraham was a man of prayer. The angels came down from heaven to converse with him. Jacob's prayer was answered in the wonderful interview at Penel. That resulted in his having such a mighty blessing and in the softening of the heart of his brother Esau. The child Samuel was given in answer to Hannah's prayer. Elijah's prayer closed up the heavens for three years and six months and he prayed again and the heavens gave rain. The apostle James tells us that the prophet Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. I am thankful that these, that those men and women who were so mighty in prayer were just like us. We are apt to think that those prophets and mighty men and women of old time were different from the way we are. To be sure, they lived in much darker age, in a much darker age, but they were of like passions as we ourselves. We read this on another occasion that Elijah brought down fire on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal cried out long and loud but no answer came 
The God of Elijah heard and answered his prayer. Let us remember that the God of Elijah still lives. The prophet was translated and went up to heaven, but God, his God still lives. We have the same warrant to go to God and ask the fire come from heaven down and consume our lusts and our passions and to burn up our droughts and to let Christ shine through us. Elijah prayed and life came back into a dead child. Many of our children are dead in trespasses and sins. Us do as Elijah. Let us do as Elijah. Let us entreat God to raise them up in answer to our prayers. Manasseh the king was a wicked man and had done everything he could against God, the God of his father. Yet in Babylon, when he cried out to God, his cry was heard, and he was taken out of the prison and put on the throne at Jerusalem. Surely if God gave heed to the prayer of the wicked Manasseh, he will hear ours in our time of distress. Is not this time of distress with a great number of people. Let us pray and remember God answers prayer. Can you imagine this? Do you realize the time that Dwight Moody lived in? Civil War. America split in two. And he's preaching these messages in Chicago. Telling the country that they must turn their face back to God and pray. I'm going to read just a little more from him. And then I'll get to my scripture. I promise. He said, Job prayed and his captivity was turned. Light came into the place of darkness and God lifted him up above the heights of his former prosperity in answer to his prayer. Daniel prayed to God and Gabriel came to tell him that he was a man greatly beloved of God. Three times that message came to him from heaven in answer to his prayer. The secret of heaven was imparted to him and he was told that God's son was going to be cut off for the sins of his people. We find also that Cornelius prayed and Peter was sent to tell him words whereby he and his house should be saved. In answer to prayers, this great blessing came upon him and his household. Peter had gone up to the housetop to pray in the afternoon and when he had uh, thought Wonderful when he had that wonderful vision of that sheet let down from heaven. It was a prayer. It was when prayer was made without ceasing unto God for Peter that the angel was sent to deliver him from prison. So all through the scriptures you will find that when believing prayer went up to God, the answer came down from God. I think it would be very interesting to study to go right through the Bible and see what has happened while God's people have been on their knees calling upon him. Certainly the study would greatly strengthen our faith, but show as it would how wonderful God has heard and delivered when the cry has gone up for him to help. Look at Paul and Silas in the prison at Philippi. As they prayed and sang praises, the place was shaken and the jailer was converted. Probably 
that one conversion has done more than any other recorded in the Bible to bring people into the kingdom of God. How many have been blessed in seeing to, seeing to the answer questioned, what must I do to be saved? It was, the proper, it was the prayer of those two godly men that brought that jailer to his knees and that brought the blessings to him and his family. You remember how Stephen, as he prayed, looked up and saw the heavens open and the Son of Man at the right hand of God. The light of heaven fell on his face to shone as he came down from the mountain. He had been in communion with God. He lifts his countenance upon us. And instead of having gloomy looks, our faces will shine like light because God has heard and answered our prayers. D.L. Moody goes on to talk about Christ and how Christ prayed. And tonight I want to talk a little bit about how Christ prayed. And not just a little bit about how Christ prayed, not just tell you Christ taught us how to pray and Christ had an expectation of us to pray, which all those things are true. But Jesus prayed over and over and over in Scripture. Jesus prayed. And I just want to walk you through some verses of Jesus praying. So if you have your Bible, we're going to start flipping through it very, very quickly. Because there's a lot of verses to be found. So the first place we're going to go is Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. Let's see. I'm in 13. I've got to go to 14. There we go. We'll start at verse 22. Immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up into the mountain by himself to pray. I'm going to stop right there. This is just a minute example of Jesus praying alone by himself. It was his custom to pray. We'll get into that in a minute. There's a verse that tells us it was his custom to do this. Every, first of all, every Jewish man of his day prayed three times a day. Every Jewish man did. So when the disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray, it meant something because they realized what they were doing wasn't the same it's what Jesus was doing. Nor did it have the same effect that Jesus' prayers seemed to have. So they came to him and said, Master, teach us how to pray. But this is recorded right here for our benefit in this. Jesus went off alone to pray. So he's following his own words that he already preached in Matthew 5 and 6 when he said, when you pray, don't be like the publicans and go into the temple and beat your chest and, and, and talk great words. And he said, but you go into your closet. 
Go to your secret place and pray. And your heavenly father who sees what's done in secret will reward you openly. Amen? The understanding is Jesus prayed. Go with me to Mark chapter 1. This is the same thing. It's the same. Uh, it's, it's pretty much the same story. But I'm going to read it anyway. Mark 1.35. One more page. And rising very early in the morning while he was, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. This is another example of Jesus going off by himself, away from everyone, separated himself to go and pray. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. I want you to notice the context of this verse is also the same story that Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 18, it said, It happened that when he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who does the crowd say that I am? Notice that before God the Father revealed to Peter who Jesus was, Jesus was praying. What do you think he was praying right there? I have to assume since very shortly after he's praying, Peter comes to the understanding of who Christ is. Jesus was praying for Peter's eyes to be opened. I have to take the understanding that Jesus was praying, Father, I pray that you would unveil his eyes and let him see who I am. Because the words are recorded. In Matthew and Mark, the same story being told. Matthew, who was there, you got to understand. Mark was a disciple of Peter. Luke was a disciple of Paul, but Matthew was there. You understand? That's why Matthew, in his recording of this same event, says that. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we get what Jesus says afterwards. Notice that in Luke we do not get this. Watch. He says, Who do men say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. Others say, One of the prophets of old has uh, risen. And then he said unto him, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. But in Matthew he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, Simon Bar-Jonah, or in other words, Simon, son of Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven. You understand? Jesus prayed. Simon's eyes was opened. And on that revelation, he got a new name. He said, 
I'm now going to call you Peter. And on this rock, what rock? The revelation of who Jesus is. I'm going to build my church. Luke chapter 22. Now let's, let's wait. Let's wait to go to Luke 22. Let's look at some public prayers of Jesus. Go to John 11. John chapter 11. Verse 41. John eleven forty one, 41. Jesus coming to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Verse 41, it says, And they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me. But I say this on account of the people standing around that they may believe you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And I'm telling you, if you do the research, nearly every miracle that Jesus does was either led or followed by prayer. Nearly every one of them. Go with me, if you will, to the next chapter. John chapter 12. I believe it's verse 27. Jesus is praying here. He said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there, or the crowd that stood there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake. Not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Wow. And I will. I, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said unto him, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Notice as Jesus is preaching about his death, he starts praying to the Father. Publicly. There's a crowd of people, right? So often it's taught that Jesus said, we're not ever supposed to pray out in public, you know, just private. No, we're supposed to do both. We're, not, we're to pray at all times. New Testament says pray without ceasing, right? Let's understand what prayer is. I'm not going to go to all of these, but there are at least four different occasions that I recorded Jesus praying before meals. He blessed the meal. 
You don't bless a meal and not pray. I mean, you're praying while you're blessing the meal, right? Just understand the realities of prayer. Amen? Go to Luke chapter 6. This is very interesting, and I want you to see it. Luke chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 12. This is just before he calls the 12 apostles. Notice, before he chooses the 12, he's praying. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer, and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from among them twelve who he named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So here we see Jesus praying alone. We see Jesus praying in public. We see Jesus praying over meals. And now we start seeing Jesus praying before important decisions. Do you not think that the choosing of 12 disciples is an important, that's an important decision, right? He knew the ramifications of, the, uh, of what he was about to do. Amen. And he also knew in the choosing. That he needed that Iscariot guy. He knew in choosing the 12 disciples. That he needed Judas. He knew it. Let that sink in. Most of us, if we knew there was a Judas in our camp, we'd be trying to get the Judas out. Jesus not only let Judas in, Jesus breathed on Judas, gave him the Holy Spirit, sent him out with another disciple. Two by two, they were sent out. Preached the gospel, cast out demons. Don't let some, don't be fooled by some fake phony TV preacher that supposedly got the Holy Ghost and casting out devils because that don't mean anything. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not, what, prophesy in your name? Did we not do many wonderful works in your name? And he's going to say, I don't know you. Many will bring signs and wonders, but there's only one Christ. There's only one Christ. Mark chapter 7, verse 34. Mark 7, verse 34. <clears throat> Jesus heals the deaf man. This is right after the deaf man. <laughs> Verse 34. And he looked up to heaven and sighed and said, if you can pronounce that word, good for you. Epipathy. That is, be opened. 
And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly and Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. They were astonished beyond measure. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Jesus looked up to heaven and spoke that word. As though he was praying. Luke chapter 5. Flip back to Luke chapter 5. It's a very good one. Luke 5 verse. I want to say verse 16. But it would probably need a little bit more. Let's start. Verse 13, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. And I like that it gives it in a way that it's not just a one-time thing where he left after this leprous man. He said, and often he, he, would, he would depart and go off, withdraw to a desolate places to pray. You see here Jesus praying. Flip to Luke chapter 3. Luke 3 and 21. This is Jesus' baptism. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. This is at John's baptism, okay? This is how Luke gives us a little bit more information than Matthew does. He gives us a little more information than Mark and John do. He gives us just another snippet here. So Jesus didn't just get baptized and then pulled up out of the water and the Holy Spirit fell on him like a dove. It didn't happen that way. Jesus indeed went down to John and John said, I need to be baptized of you. Why do you come unto me? And Jesus said, we must suffer all righteousness, right? So he was baptized by John and as John lifted him up, they prayed. And then the Holy Spirit fell. And then the voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Notice here he says, Jesus also had been baptized and was praying. The heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. Go to Luke chapter 9. 
we're we're just going to jump around in Luke for just a second. Luke chapter 9, this is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Notice Jesus' intention. Okay, we miss this in our understanding of the Mount of Transfiguration experience. The reality is, yes, did he take James and John and Peter so that they could see that he was the Christ. Sure, he probably did. Many commentators will say that. But what they failed to mention in this transfiguration experience where James and John and Peter see Jesus Christ in absolute heavenly glory talking to Abraham or talking to Moses and Elijah is that before any of that happened Jesus' intentions was to first pray Now about the eight days after saying these things, he took Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, appeared to him, uh, his, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and two men stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. All of this would have been such a sight to behold. But in the narrative of this story, it didn't just happen by some osmosis. Jesus went up with the intention to pray, showing his disciples his intention to pray. Told them, this is why we're going up the mountain, to pray. And when they got up there, while he was praying, this happened. I want you to notice that nearly everything that I just read to you is before what we're about to read in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us 
pray. As John taught his disciples, he said unto them, When you pray, say, Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who has sinned against us and lead us not into temptation. Notice that Luke, notice that Luke has less information than Matthew's prayer. You want to know why? Why is Luke's prayer shorter? Luke wasn't there. Luke was not there. He's giving you secondhand information. You seeing this? Are you seeing it? Go to Matthew 6. We're going to read it from there. Because it's a lot easier to follow this one because it's the whole thing. Right? Matthew 6. And the funny part of Matthew 6 and even in Luke chapter 11, Jesus preaches about don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Right after all this. Don't, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. That's the next one. Fasting. Don't be anxious. That's how he ends the chapter in 6. About not being anxious for anything. Right? But chapter 6, verse 9, he says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now I want to make a note to you. If we understand why Matthew and Mark have a more accurate understanding of some of the things in Jesus' life, or a more, I'm not going to say accurate, that's the wrong word, a more full, a more, more detailed record of what happened is because Matthew was there and Mark was a direct disciple of Peter, lived in Jerusalem with Peter, went to Asia Minor, went to the east with Peter. You understand? That's why they have more information. Nothing Luke says is wrong in his prayer. It's just not complete. You see that? He's missing two phrases that we all we see in Matthew. That's it. The reality is it's because Luke wasn't there. He didn't hear it for himself. Didn't get the information straight from the horse's mouth. Amen? That's not my main point. My main point to start this whole thing off in Luke 11 was Jesus was praying. Jesus was praying. Amen? And then his disciples said, now teach us how to do that. Amen? So this is how I'm going to close. I want to talk to you just for a moment about how Jesus was praying. And the first points that I want you to understand is that prayer in the way that Jesus was teaching them to pray was first of all honoring God is the first way it is humbling myself in prayer do you see this he said our father first of all 
we're making the connection. Father, we're yours, right? And then second of all, we're saying, you're holy. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Do you see how now I'm not going to God, first of all, with my own need, but I'm going to God for what I need from him. Because God is my source. God is my all in all. And anything and everything I need is in and from God. Not this world. From God. My focus in prayer must be on God. In the second half, when he starts praying, he says, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say, give me a month's worth. Give me a... He said, give me today what I need today, God. Take care of me today. I know, God, that you love me because I, I know you're my father and that you're holy and that you're righteous and that your kingdom's coming and your will's here. And I want it done in my life so I know you're going to take care of me. Give me today my daily bread and forgive me my debts, my trespasses, my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. And now this isn't to make a case that we're never going to be forgiven of Christ and, or that somehow salvation is purchased by me forgiving other people. Because let's understand that salvation is absolutely 100% free. Cannot be earned and it is not deserved. Amen? So salvation is free. Don't get that mixed up. Let's not squash all relevant theology and trying to make this sound like it's saying something that's not. And then he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, first of all, God doesn't tempt anybody, so why would they say that? Well, they're trying, they're looking at it from their perspective. So when we're praying that way, we're understanding that I don't necessarily always know the difference between a test and a tempt. I have to have discernment for that, right? God tests. Satan tempts. God never tempts. The Bible says that God, God is not, does not ever tempt with evil. Amen? He can't. Amen? God will never tempt you to do evil. Now, when God tests you, he may allow the enemy to tempt you. But the reality is, it's still the enemy tempting you, not God. Amen? Jesus went out into the wilderness to be tempted. Right? What did he do before that? Well, he prayed, got baptized, and then he prayed and got baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now what it said, right? The Holy Spirit fell on him like a dove, right? Rested him. And then he was led away into the Spirit, into the wilderness, to be tempted of the devil. We got to understand the difference there. So we see first of all our focus in going to in prayer should be on God and us secondary. Amen. Now it also gives you an understanding that I just need what I need today. 
Why? Because God doesn't want you to just come to him one time and then never come back. There's a reason Jesus said today my daily bread because we're supposed to be praying all the time. Daily praying. Amen? I want to want to make a note that not only did Jesus pray these prayers and teach his disciples to pray, but there's a few more times Jesus prayed. He prayed for Peter when Peter was going to be tested. He said, "Your Satan has come and asked to sift you like wheat, but hey, I prayed for you. John 17, the whole chapter is prayer. Jesus prays from the cross in Luke 23 and 34. Romans 8, 34 says Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Hebrews 7, 25 echoes this same terminology that he lives and sets at the right hand of God to make intercession for us. So not only did Jesus pray, Jesus is still praying for you. He's the only advocate that we have between us and God the Father. He is our mediator. He is our high priest offering his sacrifice once for all. He is our high priest who is praying earnestly for those who he has called. That's what Jesus is doing right now. We understand prayer is something of an importance. I want to close with a quote from Spurgeon that I found in this same book that I found D.L. Moody and Tozer and uh, how many other men in here if I can find it I'll read it to you there we go Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest men to ever preach in England ever and his closing statement or his opening statement excuse me says this says these words are found embedded in the gracious verse let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need and they are a gem in the golden setting the true prayer true prayer is an approach of the soul by the Spirit of God to the throne of God. It is not an utterance of words, nor is it alone the feeling of desire, but it is the advance of the desires to God, the spiritual approach of our nature toward the Lord our God. True prayer is not mere mental exercise, nor a vocal performance, but it is deeper, far deeper than that. It is a spiritual communion with God the creator of heaven and earth. God is a spirit unseen of mortal eye and only to be perceived by the inner man. Our spirit within us begotten, 
by the Holy Ghost at our regeneration. Prayer is a spiritual business from beginning to end, and its aim and object end is not with man, but to reach God himself. And that's what prayer should be. Amen. So as we close tonight and we pray, I want to take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, however long you want to pray, we're going to pray. But I want to understand that prayer isn't something, it's kind of like marriage. I thought of this today, it's kind of like marriage, not something that should be entered into lightly, but reverently, soberly, and discreetly. Prayer is an awesome, awesome privilege for us as mere dirt sacks to be able to come before the God of all the universe to petition him on our behalf or on the behalf of other people knowing that when we pray in the name of Christ that we have access to the very throne room of God. That as we pray, we're not just praying in this room, but our prayers and we are standing in the very presence before the very throne of God. Do you understand that while you're praying, there's an audience in heaven hearing the prayers that are going up before God. There is the four creatures that are surrounding the throne. There is 24 elders. And then there's the sea of glass with all the saints who have gone before. Standing there as you pray. Hearing the petitions made to God. Let that change your perspective of just praying. And understand that prayer. is an awesome privilege for the people of God. And we should be devoted as Acts chapter 2 verse 43 says, we should be devoted to the teachings of Christ, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Why? Because prayer prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen? I'm going to say it this way. The prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Let's stand and pray. And I'm going to, we're, we're going to close right now, but I'm going to spend the next 10 or 15 minutes praying. If you want to pray with us, you can. But if you don't, you can, you're dismissed. And I'm going to be at the altar, okay? Let's close. Father God, I just thank you, Lord. Lord, tonight we don't come with a, any other expectation, God, other than to come boldly before your throne, Lord, to come humbly understanding who you are, God, that everything that we have need of, that everything that we desire, everything that ails us, Everything that is going on in the world, you have answers, you have provision, you have the yes or the no and the will 
to work all these things out. So as we pray, God, we're not coming to pray solely to get you to do what we want, God. But we're coming with, firstly, an expectation that your will and your kingdom is going to be established in this earth and in us, your people. God, I pray that you would help us to pray with fervent hearts. Help us to pray like we know that you hear us. Help us pray like we know that you want to answer and meet every need that we have. God, help us to understand that prayer is so much more than just what can I get for myself. What is in it for me? But it is also, God, how we come and have communion with you, God. We come to have discourse with you and we listen and wait with raptured expectation, God, that you are going to speak to our hearts, that you are going to that, that you are going to meet our needs, that you are going to change us and transform us and mold us and shape us. And yes, God, that you do and will hear our prayers, that you will hear and answer our prayers, that you will do those things that we petition you for, God, and you will do them as you see fit. You will do them in your own time and you will do them in your own way with your own will and your own purpose in mind, God. But let all of us understand that when we pray, you do hear us. And when we pray, you do answer us. And when we pray, God, you are moving mountains. When we pray, God, you are saving souls. When we pray, you are delivering those who are lost and afflicted and hurt and sick, God, that you will do those things. Not for our sake, not even for the sake of those who are afflicted, God, but for your own glory, for your own purpose, that your name, that your son, that your spirit would be glorified in us, in this earth, and in your people, God. Help us to understand the, not, the awesome responsibility, the awesome privilege that we have to come boldly before your throne, God. And tonight, Lord, I don't seek anything other than you because you are my Father. You are my source. You are my all in all. Jesus is everything to me. And the only reason that I can call you Father, the only reason that I can come before you tonight is because Jesus made a new and living way that I could have access, that I could be adopted into your family, that I could come boldly as a son of the living God before your throne. And understanding, God, that we have this great access to you, God. Let us not grow prideful and arrogant in our prayers, God. But help us to understand how great and how awesome of a responsibility it puts on us as born-again believers to live like the man, to live like the woman 
that Jesus Christ bled and died and rose from the dead to redeem. Help us to live like those people, God. Help us to live like these great men of old from the time of the apostles that they prayed without ceasing, the prayers were made without ceasing when they were in prison. Help us also to pray like these great men of old when Spurgeon had his ministry there in London, Lord, there was two or three thousand people in audience at that great church, God, but there was three, four, five hundred people in the basement praying throughout the whole service, throughout the whole week. Prayers were constantly being made from that place. And God, I pray that's what you do in our hearts, in our lives, in this church, in the churches of Coffeeville, God. Let these houses be called houses of prayer. That we bathe our congregations. We bathe the, 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 the population of Coffeeville, God, with prayer. That we bombard the battlements of heaven, like Lockyer said. That we go up to the battlements of heaven and we bombard them with our petitions and our prayers and our exaltations and our praises to our awesome and heavenly Father. Knowing, knowing God that it is not me that ever changes anything, that it's never me that ever changes your mind, that it's never me that moves your hand, God, but that it is your will that works in me in prayer to move me into your will that aligns me, God, with your purpose. And that comes to pass in my life because you are altogether sovereign. You are altogether in control. And this includes our prayers. So help us, God, to be conformed into your image so that your kingdom will come, that your will would be done in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless you.